Let's just go before the Lord in prayer. Ask Him to bless this time of prayer. Lord, we come in probably with very different circumstances, maybe burdens, maybe joys. But we know this. We come needing You. We come hungering for You, thirsting for You. And we thank You so much for this opportunity to meet with You. Lord, as Your people, to gather in Your name, to worship You, to superimpose Your glory and Your greatness and Your faithfulness over whatever is going on in our lives. Thank You. Refresh us in Christ this morning. Encourage us and build us up in Christ. And I pray You speak, Lord, through this time together in Your Word. Speak to our hearts. Um, just wonderful truth, and let your spirit bring that home to us so that it, it speaks to our hearts deeply. We don't want just hear words this morning. We don't want just information. We want your spirit to work within us with that. And so we just commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Jesus said that the Father is seeking those who would worship Him in spirit and truth. What I get from that is the Father is not looking for those who worship Him in spirit only. The Father is not looking for those who worship Him in truth only, but those who will worship Him in spirit spirit and truth. And last week I shared three warning signs that we might be disconnecting our understanding and our experience of the Holy Spirit from truth. Three warning signs that uh, we may not be tethered to the anchor of God's truth if these warning signs are taking place. Here's the thing. Christians can get weird when they untether their understanding of the Holy Spirit from biblical truth. Amen? Maybe you've known a few. Maybe you are one. Maybe you're thinking that about me. But uh, the reality is, we can get weird. Weird things can happen when we untether and the sky becomes the limit. Oh, the Spirit of God can do anything. He can make you do anything. He can be doing that or He can be doing this. And um, last week I shared about Larry Walters. He had a bunch of weather balloons to his lawn chair and flew his lawn chair at an altitude of 16,000 feet. And like that, we can find ourselves in places And that can be dangerous. Now, the question I want to Reaction. I, I don't want to be one of those weird churches. I don't want to be one of those weird Christians. So we just, you know, I think some people react and they, they back off like, you know what, I'm just going to know the Bible inside out. I'm going to, this is the book. This is, I've studied this for theology. I know salvation. I learn practical principles for living. This is the book that changes life. And I don't even need to think about the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to kind of ignore that. Him. And uh, is there anything here in that? I'm saying, yeah, that's what it is. 
tremendous danger in that. Total danger in that. So here's the thing. The danger of spirit untethered from truth is weird and wacky. The danger of truth untethered from spirit is total. And God doesn't want to either. God doesn't want to either. He's speaking, worshiping, and worshiping the spirit. The Bible, and I love this book. I love this book. I love studying this book. I love reading this book. I love speaking to God in this book. But this book transforms us. And the Spirit of God speaks to us in God and transforms us. It transforms us. It's not happening. It's not happening. Pharisees are a good example of that. The word by itself doesn't bring life. Let's read from chapter three, Second Corinthians chapter three, beginning in verse one. <clears throat> He's talking about his ministry. He's talking about preaching the word of God. He's saying, I don't peddle the word of God in chapter two like some people do. We preach it sincerely in the sight of God. Chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Now, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Are we bragging on ourselves? Are we trying to. Do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? Known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry. Written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence, verse 4, we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. If you're familiar at all with your Bible, you, you, I'm sure you hear the references to Moses. Moses came down from Mount Sinai with God. Word, God's law, written on the In Paul, it was glorious. Most of shone with glory. The glory of God shone on Moses' face. It was glorious. But the glory of those stones that Moses came down with could only kill. They could only condemn. Because the law was good. But our hearts were bad. We could not keep them. So all they could speak, the glory of the law was condemnation. It was good, but it killed. The reason is because those stone tablets symbolized our hearts. Our hearts were stone tablets. The words were written on them, but they did not penetrate them. Cold, hearted, so God promised 
Something about our hearts. Something about our stone tablet hearts. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 and 27. God says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, tablets of stone, your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, and I will put my spirit in you. Written on your hearts. I will give you a I will put my spirit in you, and my spirit in you will want to obey God because you have You will want to do it. You will want to do The spirit Gospel, but I'm believing God, the Spirit of God, to do the work. The Bible informs, and the Spirit transforms, and we need both. It's not safer to have the Word without the Spirit. In fact, it's deadly. Word without Spirit leaves us with a stone-hearted Christianity. The words of God might be there, but the Spirit God spoke those words in is not. See, you can speak God's Word in a way that completely misrepresents God. Did you know that? 
You can believe God's Word and speak God's Word and preach God's Word in a way that completely misrepresents God. The devil did it. Word without Spirit leaves us with a stone-hearted Christianity. You get angry fundamentalists or you get self-righteous Pharisees or you get toxically divisive people or gossips who love to tear down but have no idea how to build up. And they can quote Scripture. They can know Scripture. They can study Scripture. But their hearts are stone. So the life and it doesn't, the letter kills. Have you ever met that? Somebody, and you know, that speaks the Bible and it kills you. You, you leave church and you're dead. People leave bleeding and wounded and the letter kills. The Spirit brings life. What God gave us the Spirit to do. The Word without Spirit produces cold, dead churches that have no genuine life or love in them. The Spirit of God causes this beautiful book to come alive in us because He turns our hearts of stone into a heart of flesh that the Spirit of God, the Word of God, can penetrate. Now listen, I want to just go back to lawn chair Larry. Flying at 16,000 feet in a lawn chair. Love that picture. When he finally landed safely, one reporter asked him, why did you do it? It's a good question. Why did you do that? And uh, I love Larry's response. He said, a man can't just sit there. Now, Larry's not the sharpest knife in the drawer. But he got that right. A man can't just sit there. Doesn't have to fly 16,000 feet in a lawn chair, but can't just sit there. Listen, Jesus doesn't want the church to just sit there. He doesn't want us to just sit there accumulating information. Sitting in our biblical lawn chairs. He gives us the truth to activate us and use us and let that truth penetrate us and change us. And then use us to help and love and serve and care for others. The Word of God anchors us in truth. It gives us direction. It gives us wisdom. The Spirit of God, the wind of God, the pneuma causes that truth to stick. So we take flight with it. Wind and word working together. Now, last week I tried to share a few thoughts, cautions for our charismatic friends. And um, by saying that, I'm a continuationist, which is a very clumsy word. And I'm going to unpack that a little bit because I think it's important for y'all to know at least where I stand on some of this. But, you know, the charismatic movement is actually the second fastest growing movement of Christian churches in the world. And, yeah, there are wacky things and there are things I do not relate to, but there's a lot of good and there's a lot of grace and there's a lot of healthy charismatic churches that love the Lord, love Jesus, love the Gospel, love the Bible, and frankly have a lot of faith. You know, it's what they're good at. And uh, so last week I tried to maybe warn and bring some thoughts without in any way trying to... There's too much friendly fire. Too much believers shooting at each other that, because they don't agree on every single point or they see things different. Last Sunday and this Sunday are not friendly fire sermons. 
I'm not looking to shoot down believers who love the Lord um, at all. Um, but I, I, so I tried to be fair with uh, our charismatic friends. And this morning, I want to do the same with those that are extremely uncharismatic, those that have uh, really been the other way. <clears throat> and so I want to say this, first of all. Um, so I'm talking about churches, and, and this may be, like, you may not be familiar with this, or you may be familiar with this, but I'm talking about churches that are really heavy in theology, really heavy in Bible study, really heavy in preaching, you know, very um, uh, full, theologically sound uh, verses, <clears throat> but you rarely ever hear reference to the, about the Holy Spirit in those churches. They wouldn't put their hands up in the air if you stuck a gun in their back and said, stick them up. They'd say, I can't. I'm a Presbyterian. I heard a Presbyterian say that, so I'm allowed to say that. Um, I'm talking about those churches. Um, and I want to make something really clear. Really clear. When I talk about living churches and dead churches, I'm not talking about the volume of how loud you sing. I'm not talking about whether you shout during a sermon or you say, I remember a guy coming to a church I passed. And he was like really like charismatic, and he said something, and the church just sat and listened. Kind of like you're listening right now. And he said, "Boy, you guys are dead." And my heart just sunk. Like, is that how you measure life and death by how you shout? You know, I don't think so. I don't think so. You don't measure life, the life or death, the deadness of a church by whether they have drums and guitars or they have organs, whether they have hymnals or they have projector screens whether they have smoke on their stages and wild lighting, or they have uh, stained glass windows. None of those things say life or death at all. I'm talking about spiritual life, love for Jesus, faith in God, expressing the fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and patience and gentleness and self-control. Those things say life or death. If it's cold and there's nothing but division and and anger, and I'm, at, I'm against everybody, you know, and, and, and those things, or judging people, or self-righteous, and all those things, those things to say. Whether you have lights on your face, or you have We can have sweet fellowship. We don't have to agree on every point. That's sweet fellowship. Um, but so, I want to get a little bit into the weeds here because there are churches that are called cessationists. You're learning some clumsy words that you'll never ever use again. Um, continuationists, cessationists, and charismatics. Um, cessationists are called that because they don't believe that the miraculous gifts of the Spirit are still in operation today. They believe they cease. Therefore, cessationists, they cease with the age of the apostles. So when the last apostle died, the miraculous gifts died because they weren't needed anymore in, in their view. Now, I want to say this again. I'm trying to be really careful. They believe in the Holy Spirit just as much as any of us do. They just believe differently than I do about how the Holy Spirit is working in the church. They believe that the Holy Spirit is working in the church and through His Word. They don't believe the miraculous gifts are for today. 
They don't believe in the gift of tongues. They don't believe in the prophecy. They don't believe in the gift of healing or miracles uh, as a gift. But they still, many of them still believe God heals and God does all these things. He just doesn't do it through a gift. And uh, I want to share why I don't agree with that position, respectfully. Um, and I want to share this. Like, my hope with last week's message and this week's message is to say that, listen, no matter where you are, there's a spectrum. I don't even know where a lot of you are. Uh, you may not know where you are, actually. Uh, but there's a spectrum. Say so you've got the really charismatic, the guys that are, like, swinging off the chandeliers every Sunday, you know? They get about five minutes of sermon and four hours of worship and people, you know, getting healed and all that kind of stuff. That's 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 that extreme, all right. And then you got this extreme where it's like you know, 45 minutes. You come in, you sing three hymns, you hear a word, you might shake a hand or two, and and then you go out. But if somebody were to say the Holy Spirit um, or anything like that, they'd be excommunicated. You know, they'd be. Um, run out. So you've got now in the middle. I think most believers are somewhere in the middle of that, right? They're they're on that spectrum somewhere, but they're somewhere in the middle. And my this is my contention: wherever we're at, we we can use to grow. So if you know, for our charismatic friends, it would do them a lot of good to get deeper into the scripture to direct what they believe and what they're doing. Now, I'm talking in general, because a lot of them do seek to do that and do it well. But those that maybe aren't, or we all can grow. So they could come to value this scriptures and be really careful and discerning about what they're taking in in the name of the Holy Spirit. Now, our non-charismatic friends that may be way over more over here could use to desire more of the Spirit of God, to recognize his work according to the word made by. Because I could go on and on about scriptures that say the importance of the Holy Spirit, including what we just looked at. So in that, why I believe the Spirit still gives miraculous gifts to his church today. And I'm going to get a little wonky here. Maybe I've already been a little wonky, but uh, so if this is interesting, just bear with me. This is not what these people want. So I want to share the arguments for and my responses to the cessation of the view. Um, as far as I know, and please come and let me know if I'm missing something. I know there are other arguments, but as far as I know, there are really two primary Bible-based arguments for those who believe the, the gifts and the miraculous ended with the end of the age of the apostles. Two different um, arguments that they have. Um, the only argument directly from the Bible is found in 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul clearly says there will be a day when the gifts will cease. I want to read that passage to you. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. This is the love chapter. So he says this in verse 8. Love never ends. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. But it's coming a day when all pass. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. Verse 10, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. 
When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, when, what's then? When the perfect comes, face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide these three with the greatest success.
another argument that's given is that the books that mention the scripture gifts are the books that were written to Abraham. So, again, you might be in this camp, maybe you've heard these arguments, and not all due respect, and you might not have said right, but I'm just sure why I think it's not correct. So, the idea is that in the early books written, there's a lot of writing about the spiritual gifts, but as you get to the later books of the church, written by the later, uh, later by Paul and others, there's not much mention, or, or no mention, essentially, of the gifts. And the idea is that as the church matures, the gifts diminish and diminish until they come to cease. Now, I don't think this is a particularly convincing argument, and I don't think it's particularly um, the bulk of Paul's epistles, the bulk of them were written between AD 55 and so this would get longer. AD 55 and AD 66. So the old epistles are only, you know, some of them are only a few years older than the, the younger epistles. We're not talking 30 years. We're talking about 30 years. Romans, Ephesians, 1st and 2nd Timothy are among the later epistles, and they so the idea that later epistles didn't mention spiritual gifts is not particularly accurate. But even if we took this argument at face value, the fact is that later books had less mention of the gifts than the earlier books is an argument from science, which is not a particularly practical approach. Many of the epistles written say very little about missions and evangelism. But few churches believe that missions and So let me just share briefly uh, an argument for the consideration of the gifts. And then I'm going to answer a question. Why not just But an argument for the consideration of the gifts. First of all, there's so many passages that express the believers what the gifts are for, but for the purposes of the church. How are we to speak of them? And then encourage us to either pursue the It makes me very uncomfortable to say those passages are applicable That those portions are not applicable to the church. It's a monthly assignment justice that puts all aspects of our so I believe that God gave us the gift of our spiritual gifts for the building of the church, and we still to be built up and for the continuation. And also because the Holy Spirit did statements Jesus gave us, the Holy Spirit said that we have gifts. I just want to introduce my thoughts. Why don't we see the kind of Why don't we see the kind of Thank you. 
Very often, when you dig in, somehow, many of those crimes are undocumented, and they are false on the first page, and sometimes they can't be false. I'm not trying to not. I tend to believe where the real stuff's happening in more regular occurrences <coughs> are probably not in the ministry of that guy that flies over your jets in the town and has like a thousand people meeting and, you know, Revival and missions and miracles and all that kind of stuff. I think it's probably a lot more than like third world countries and small churches or gathered. So they don't have all the sciences. So they just believe God and Christ is here. So God is doing that. And then He's still healing. He's still touching lives. He's still saving souls. He's still transforming lives. He's taking drug addicts and changing their lives and freeing them from the bondage of drug addicts. He's still transforming lives by His power and grace. Amen? But when we commercialize all that, I think that's it. I must step back here. I must step back. So that's one reason. Okay. So I think there may be a couple of reasons. Um, <clears throat> why do we see less than is in the New Testament? I'm going to share a couple. First, I think we have to take the spiritual health of the church in general into play. A church that's impure or not praying. Or doesn't believe that the Spirit of God is going to do things, he's probably not going to experience um, those great works in their hearts. Just as the church has no heart for missions or saving people, we'll probably never share the gospel and not have a heart for missions. Not because God's heart doesn't want to do it, but because their heart's not want to do it. But I, I tend to think, and again, this is my opinion, this is not scripture, I just maybe this will help you, but I tend to believe that there is an ebb and flow that is God's sovereign plan, an ebb and flow of the, of the power that is poured out upon the church. Um, particularly in the miraculous. Not speaking of sovereign things, which is miraculous, which is the greatest miraculous. But I believe there are greater, greater and lesser works of God in the earth and in different places at different times. And these results can't be just cosmic. Revivals don't come in because a group of people decide to pray for revival or put a sign that says revival. Right? It's good to pray for revival. And lots of believers pray for revival. I believe it's the sovereign will of God that it will come through prayer, but it will be sovereignly God putting on the hearts of people to pray for revival and just saying, Yeah, I'm going to pray for revival. That's my opinion, that, that there are lesser and greater seasons of God's power working in this dispensation based on His sovereign knowledge of what is coming. If the church has remained holy and pure and all that 
think we hear, would we all be walking around just healing people and doing all these amazing miracles? Would that be what this world looks like? I don't think that would be sustainable. You, you would know right that you wouldn't need faith to get, you know, I know Jim's a Christian. Every time he walks in the hospital, everybody gets healed and walks out. Like, would that be sustainable? That's what Jesus did. That's what Paul did. That's what Peter did. They sent their handkerchiefs out. I've seen people send out. I've got a handkerchief in the mail from someone sent out with oil, oil sent out, water sent out. I think that's what he's got. And I think also Jesus had power that no one did need to get to him. So I feel powerful. So I know that the authority of Christ has And he gave you that authority in an amazing manner to his apostles. But even there, we don't hear much about some of the apostles. We probably couldn't even name them. But here, John, Paul, the later and a few non-apostles, but still. That's not insane. And I think, I think our prayer should be, God, pour out your spirit upon us. God, use us to bring us fruit. Use us to, to bring life. Bring life to me. Let me shine your light. God, do amazing things. We should pray all those things. And seek the Lord in those things. God, use me in your gifts, but my gifts may not be amazing. Right? You know, so prophecy may not be something that completely shatters, you know, church within a 500-mile radius. It may just be something that encourages you to go to sister church on Sunday and then you get That's important. So I don't know all the reasons. I do believe that pours out. That's the form. But you can totally disagree with me on that. Um, and that's fine. I want to close with just sharing a few practical thoughts. Because we're talking about spiritual We're talking about the Bible. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. How do we read our Bible? How do we invite the Holy Spirit into our Bible? And I just want to share a few thoughts on this. First of all, I want to encourage you to make it a priority to set aside time. Set aside time every day for your Bible. I like to get up in the middle of the morning, get my coffee and read. But maybe for you, it could be a little bit, maybe it's an hour, but whatever works for you, but set aside time and make that time a priority. You know, because anything you don't make a priority for, you can intend to do it, but you're not going to do it until you make it a priority. If you say, when I get some free time today, I'm going to read the Bible, you won't get that free time. You won't. It's kind of like Randy Alcorn said, you know, when somebody says, you know, if I get money left over, I'm going to get some free stuff. Like, you'll never have much left over. You can always spend it on it. You can always do anything. When I get a few extra three minutes, I'll give it to that. What's that say? This is like the least important thing. Everything else is more important. So making it a priority says, no, 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 that's not right. This is the priority. Are we? I'm going to set aside time to do this. I want to encourage you, don't play Bible roulette. Don't say, you know, okay, what am I going to do? Let me just open the Bible and just go read something. And the Spirit of God will help you. This is what I'm supposed to read. Don't do that. <laughs> I would encourage you, select a book and read through it. Select a book and read through it. 
salvation. That's the plan of salvation. Thank you for your life. And you live in us. It encourages us to come alongside of us to give us peace and hope and treasure us. Transforms us. Thank you for these things. Thank you for that. Father, I pray as we leave here this morning that something in what I'm sharing with you this morning will build someone up here this morning and help them to be different than they walked in. Father, help us to walk forward. Help us to stand firm.